Hey, Misfits, I'm Kate. And this is Kevin. Welcome to Horrorwood. Welcome back, Kevin. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me back, Kate. I'm excited. Me too. It's been a minute because uh, I think I mentioned in the last episode we did that I had some stomach stuff. I was having a lot of tummy troubles, Mm. but I've kicked that stomach bug. I squashed it. I was like, get out of (laughs) here. And now I feel great. Good. Excellent. Did you take anything or did did it just kind of go away on its own? It just kind of went away on its own. I mean, I all I had was like Pedialyte, Gatorade, and applesauce and bread. And that oh, was nice. basically it. I love But I Pedialyte. didn't take anything. Okay. Well, I got the unflavored kind and it was just okay. Oh, yuck. <laughs> but it was all right. It did the trick. What's new with you? Any, any skincare wrecks that you have for me? So I can't remember if I told you about my trip to Sephora um, you I went, did. I did. I did. So it's been but tell, a while. But tell the rest of us. Well, I'm starting to use concealer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm. it's my foray into cosmetics and, and makeup. And I'm, uh, you know, I like it. It's great. But I'm having a little bit of a hard time getting it down right. I think there's like a mm. science to it. As someone who's never done makeup before, it's a little tough. If you learn that science, you need to teach it to me because I'm real bad at makeup. (laughs) No, I mean, it's like I'll put one thing on and then wait like five minutes for it to like set. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. there was so much like waiting in between stuff. Yeah, maybe that's my problem. For things to like dry and set and, you know, and then I'll, I'll, (laughs) it's kind of like I'm doing something really intense and slowly (laughs) and then like I'll be putting on the final setting powder and then the brush just wipes it all off. Oh no. <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. And so I just kind of like slam the mirror shut. I'm like, well, if I look like shit, then that's fine. <laughs> you just give up. I, <laughs> I am not great at makeup. I have done my makeup the exact same way for like 20 years and it always looks like shit. <laughs> I don't think so. I think you look oh, good. Thanks. I like oh, it. Oh, thank you. I hate it. Um, but I'm trying. I'm trying, everybody. <laughs> so I'm curious if you know who this person is we're talking about today. Have okay. you heard of Gene Spangler? I don't think so. Spangler. Okay. Mm. She was a rising star back in the 40s, but she vanished oh man so i'm gonna do something a little different today i'm gonna start this case at the end and then we'll go back to the beginning and work our way through but i'm gonna give you the suspects right off the bat and like what happened that night okay okay ready In 1949, 26-year-old actress and dancer Jean Spangler kissed her five-year-old daughter goodbye, leaving her in the care of her sister-in-law, then left her home to first go collect a child support payment from her ex-husband, 
And then she was to work a night shoot on a film. She told her sister-in-law, don't wait up for me. It's a night shoot, so I'm going to be working all night. I won't be home until tomorrow morning, basically. And then she walked out. That was the last time Jean's daughter and sister-in-law saw her. She Mm. never returned home. That's tough. Two days later... Some belongings of Jean's were found in Griffith Park, which I'll go into more detail about that later. Okay. But afterwards, Jean was never seen or heard from again. Oh, man. There are multiple suspects in this case. Some of them I'm like, "Mm, that might be a stretch. But others I'm like, yeah, that's plausible. Whenever someone has a spouse or a strange spouse or divorced or whatever, and that she was going to pick up child support, it, my mind immediately goes to ex-husband. Right, because the husband did it, like, always and forever. Forensic files taught us that. Exactly. But I'm not positive. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I I will say right now, I don't know who is responsible. Oh, my But we're going to talk about it, and then we'll get to the end, and then, you know, maybe we'll have some revelations. Okay. But Mysterious. But right now, I'm stuck. Yeah. Okay. So first, we're going to talk about that ex-husband. His name is Dexter Benner. That's a serial killer name. I mean, it just sounds like it, it you know? Well, Dexter. I Dexter mean, Benner. On. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jean had told her sister-in-law, Sophie, that she was going to go meet Dexter to collect a child support payment payment that was like a week late. Mm. So that's just like a little intro to him. We'll get into more about him later. Okay. Next on our suspect list, we've got uh, the motherfucking mob. Uh, the, the mob? <laughs> okay. I liked that. I like that hesitation. <laughs> what? I mean, my, my I feel like the mob is one of those things that people blame when they don't when they can't figure out anything else. They're like, oh, the mob did it. it was oh, the, the 40s, mob, the mob did, did it. Did it. <laughs> there was money and drugs, and it was fast and loose. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so Mickey Cohen comes up a lot in in a lot of our cases because this was just the time peri- period where he dominated Hollywood. Mm-hmm. There are reports that Jean was spotted with Mickey Cohen's henchmen around oh. the time she disappeared. Oh, okay. I take back what I said. It could be So that's mom. just something to like put in your back pocket. To mull yeah. over. Sure. The third suspect is an ex-lover of Jean's and former Army Air Corps lieutenant simply known as Scotty. We do not have a last name for Scotty. Scotty. Scotty had been physically abusive toward Jean during their relationship and had threatened to kill her if she ever left him. So that doesn't make him look great. No, none of these guys look great. Yeah. Next on the suspect list is a mysterious doctor by the name of Dr. Scott, who might have performed a botched abortion on Jean that Uh. caused her death. (gasps) Oh, man. Okay, that's great. And I thought you were going to say Dr. Seuss for a second. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's insane. That would be insane. You start reading like a poem. Like... <laughs> wow, this is really taking a turn. Sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know why I thought that. But that's an interesting, uh, you know, like she was going to get an abortion. That Possibly. Were they, I mean, were they legal? They probably weren't legal back no, then. No, they were okay. not. got you. So it would have been like... You know, under the table, a covert operation situation. And this is the 40s, right? Yes. Okay, man, that's tough. I mean, we're kind of living in that era now again, but, you know. Exactly. 
So we got two suspects left. One of them, and perhaps the most surprising, is film star Kirk Douglas. <gasps> Kirk Douglas. Gene had recently worked on a movie that starred Kirk Douglas, and according to Gene's mom, she'd mentioned a Kirk a few times but never gave the last name. And a man by the name of Kirk picked Gene up from her home on at least two occasions, but Gene's mom never met him. Mm. Is this Michael Douglas's father? Is that who yes. that is? Okay. Yeah. There was a note found in Jean's purse after she disappeared. We're going to talk about that note in a bit. Okay. The name Kirk appears on the note. Mm. Kirk Douglas would not have even been on LAPD's radar if he hadn't um, inserted himself into the investigation. Red flag. So he's someone to just keep an eye on. Mm. And last but not least, our final suspect is the Black Dahlia Killer. Whoa. Whoa. I didn't expect it to go that way. Okay. Yeah. Elizabeth Short, often referred to as the Black Dahlia, was killed two years prior to Jean's disappearance. Mm -hmm. Former LAPD homicide detective Steve Hodell believes his father, Dr. George Hodell, was the Black Dahlia Killer and that he is also responsible for the murders of other young women, including Jean Spangler. Whoa. Have you seen the picture of that murder? Yes. I know that's a weird thing to ask, but that it's so... That's not weird on this podcast. It's so interesting to me. Like, when I first yeah. saw it, it doesn't even... I mean, it kind of looked fake to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right, because it's and so posed. It's so posed, and it's so horrific. It looks like a mannequin. Or she looks like... I shouldn't say it. She. We're going to talk about Elizabeth Short. We're going to cover Black okay. Dahlia at some point. Okay. But that's just something to, like, keep in your mind. Mm. So let's talk about Jean Spangler. Jean Elizabeth Spangler was born on September 2nd, 1923 in Seattle, Washington to her parents, Florence and Cecil. She had two brothers and a sister, though not a ton is known about them. Mm. I love all these names, Florence, Florence, Cecil, Cecil. Jean. Ugh, it was a time. <laughs> At some point, the Spanglers moved from Seattle to Los Angeles, which is where Jean attended high school. And Jean had her sights set on Hollywood. Yeah, she did. She was absolutely stunning. She was described as statuesque with brown hair and big blue eyes. She just had that 1940s movie star look. Like, I'll post a picture, obviously, and mm. she just, you're like, oh, yeah, she's a star. Oh, wow. After graduating in 1941, it's no surprise that she immediately found work as a model for a local clothing company. And she was hired as a dancer at both the Earl Carroll Theater and Florentine Gardens. It was a big deal to be a dancer at these venues. Florentine Gardens was an Italian restaurant that offered live entertainment, specifically burlesque. It could seat a thousand patrons and was always packed because servicemen on leave during World War II would hang out there to see the dancers. Mm, this is like that movie with Cher and Christina Aguilera. Burlesque. Sorry, I shouldn't sing. I, you should, uh, always and forever. I just go into the like, whoa, like Christina did. <laughs> Gwen Verdon, Bob Fosse's wife and muse, danced there when she was starting out. Yvonne DiCarlo danced there and went on to have a successful career. It's widely reported that Marilyn Monroe had her wedding reception with Jim Doherty there, but her half-sister Bernice was like, 
no, that didn't happen. That's not true. Oh. So I don't know how that rumor got started. Yeah. Well, that's really cool that this place has such a big history with like massive stars. Oh, yeah. Uh, side note, Elizabeth Short, or the Black Dahlia, briefly lived with Mark Hansen, who was co-owner and manager of Florentine Gardens. So another little just Black Dahlia mm. connection here. The Earl Carroll Theater was a supper club that claimed to feature the most beautiful girls in the world. The costumes were very much that of a Vegas showgirl. So think feathers, high heels, not lingerie, but like, you know what I'm talking about, like a, yeah. a bra top and everything. To be able to say you were an Earl Carroll girl was huge. The theater attracted some of the biggest celebrities of the time. Humphrey Bogart, Joan Crawford, Boris Karloff, Rita Hayworth, Cary Grant. What? And some pretty influential industry execs like studio head Daryl Zanuck and producer David O. Selznick. So this is very much like the L.A. Rockettes in a way. Kind of. Yeah, it was a big deal. Like this whole Supper Club live entertainment thing was huge then. And I'm sure that like all those studio execs were also talent scouting. Oh, Absolutely. So that's another reason like why girls wanted to dance there. They yeah. wanted to get noticed. A meal at the Earl Carroll started at $1.50. I mean, remember, this is the 40s. But there was a special inner circle club for celebrities. The membership fee was $1,000 back then, which is about $22,000 today. What did you get for that? You got a lifetime cover charge covered. And you had a reserved seat. Mm. But I still think you had to pay for your food. So <laughs> I don't oh, know. Oh, come on. Throw the Maybe food not. in there. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were like, here's your fries. Uh, side note yet again, Elizabeth Short was known to have at least been to the theater. I don't think she performed there, but there is a photograph of her standing outside in front of the building. Mm. Okay. In addition to dancing, Jean also worked as an extra on film sets to help get her foot in the door in the entertainment industry. She was working her butt off to build a career. So Jean is out there modeling, dancing, performing for celebrities, and she was only 18. So she's having the time oh of her God. life. That's yeah. young. That's crazy. Yeah. Was she still, was she working to do that while she was finishing school or had she finished? She had just finished. She had just finished. Yeah. Okay. She graduated high school and then Man, started performing. That's t I mean, that's crazy to be kind of thrust into that world. I'm sure, you know, it couldn't have all been nice. You know what I mean? Right. Because, I mean, I don't know that all those men are super respectful. I to, mean, we're talking the 40s. I'm sure yeah. there was some, like, ugly shit happening behind the scenes. Also, the mob loved to frequent these establishments. The mob. So there's, like, a lot. There's just a lot of a different kind of people. Like, a lot of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But Jean was really social. She was super outgoing. And she liked to have a good time. So while she's living her best life, she meets Dexter Binner. Husband. A guy about her age. Husband. <laughs> a guy about her age. He was three years older, and he okay. manufactured plastics for a living. I mean, hey, someone's got to. I guess so. <laughs> it wasn't exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Someone does need to manufacture plastics. 
But it wasn't exactly like the spicy romance one might have guessed for a Hollywood showgirl, mm, shall at we the say? Plastic factory. <laughs> I think she saw that he had a steady job, though, sure, and he was sure. attractive to her. Nice. So I think she felt he could give her some security. Mm-hmm. And he was like, damn, I'm dating an Earl Carroll girl. Because that was a thing. You were somebody if you were with an Earl Carroll girl. Status. I don't, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Things moved pretty fast for the couple. And they got married the following year in 1942 when Jean was just 19. Although, I mean, that's not super uncommon back then to be that young. Sure. But still, I think about me at 19. But still, I mean, that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty young. Yeah. Still. The honeymoon was short-lived, however, because Mm. there was trouble in paradise. Just six months into the marriage, Jean filed for divorce, citing cruelty. Oh. I'm not sure if Dexter was physically abusive or if it was mental and emotional abuse or all of the above. All we know is that it doesn't sound like he was great to her. That sucks. Damn it. But it seems Gene and Dexter couldn't stay away from each other long because really? they continued to see each other on and off for the next four years. Whoa. Okay. They kind of just put the whole divorce thing on hold while they tried to figure things out. Oh, okay. So they, they just put it on hold. They didn't go through mm-hmm. with it and then... Right. It wasn't okay. finalized. So they were, they were still technically married. Okay. In 1944, the couple gave birth to a daughter, Christine. Dexter served in World War II and ended up getting stationed overseas. And while he was over there, Jean started a little fling with a fella known only as Scotty, a lieutenant in the army. Lieutenant Scotty was not a great dude. He was physically abusive toward Jean and threatened to kill her if she ever left him. She did, however, manage to get out of that abusive relationship, breaking things off with Scotty in 1945. So, yes, thankfully she got out of there. When Dexter returned from the war, things between him and Jean were rocky. I believe he found out about her affair, and she was very social. She liked to go out and have a good time. He did not. It wasn't working out between the two, and in 1946, their divorce was finalized. And it was messy, namely because a child was involved. Mm. Jean and Dexter went through a bitter custody battle, and Dexter was awarded temporary custody of Christine by claiming that Jean, quote, preferred parties to priorities. Oh, shut up. Yeah, he was an ass. ridiculous. What an asshole. He basically convinced the court that she was a bad mom just because she liked to go out. No, 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 no. And I'm sure at that time they were all men and they were like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Scandalized. Yes. Jean was granted visitation rights, but Dexter wouldn't let her see their kid. Yeah, you can't do that. Over the next two years, he refused to let Jean see Christine on 23 different occasions. What the fuck? I mean, isn't that illegal? I mean, she's, they, didn't you say that they granted her, like, the right to see her? Right, Or spend yeah. time with her? He just didn't care. Ridiculous. This still happens. Like, it still hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. He also threatened her, saying that he would, quote, fix it so you'll never get to see her. Fuck you, dude. This guy was an asshole. Like, dude, you already won custody. Why do you need to deny that child her right to see her own mom? Like, that's her mom. It's just like, it's continued torture. Imagine what that did to Christine. 
Yeah. I mean, because she was so young at the time and just like those are your formative years, you know? I mean, and he was probably trying to actively poison her against her mother. I think he was. During that two-year period that he had custody, Jean was fighting for her daughter. Finally, in 1948, a judge ruled in her favor. Oh, good. Stating that Spangler's, quote, questionable behavior was buried in the past and the little girl's place is with her mother. Ah, someone with sense. I thought that was interesting. I just think it shows a sign of that era that people thought, oh, it's the mom that is best suited to care for the child. Even though, like, I absolutely thought Christine should be with her mom. But Dexter had custody for two years. Uh, That mentality of, like, it has to be the woman who's taking care of the child. And if, if that's not happening, then that's not the right sort of family dynamic that she should be in. Yeah, that that doesn't. That's not great either, but, you know, in this instance, it's nice that she made it back to where she should be. Yes, and Dexter was pissed, obviously. Meanwhile, Jean and Christine moved in with Jean's mom in an apartment in the Park La Brea neighborhood of Los Angeles. Jean's sister-in-law, Sophie, also lived with them, and I'm going to assume that Cecil, Jean's dad, lived there as well because he was still alive. And everything I read indicates that he and Florence were never divorced. Mm -hmm. It's just weird because nothing mentions Cecil living in the Park La Brea apartments when Jean and Christine moved in. Like Cecil's actually not mentioned any other time after they moved in. So it's kind of bizarre. That is strange. But all these articles state that Edward Spangler, Jean's brother and the husband of Sophie, was also living there. But he died in the war. There are war records to prove this. He was killed on June 1st, 1945, just a few months before the end of World War II. But all these sources that I was finding, the LA Times, Entertainment Weekly, a bunch of others, all say Jean and Christine went to live with her mother, brother Edward, and sister-in-law. But Edward was dead at that point. So it's a weird discrepancy that I kept finding over and over again. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if because... The sister-in-law was living there. They just assumed Edward was too, but that seems like bad journalism. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that, I mean, this is the 40s. I mean, I feel like um, maybe fact-checking wasn't a major thing. Well, and also think like these articles that were written recently were probably just stealing from each other. And they were like, oh, she moved in with her brother, you know? And I'm like, but she didn't. He was dead. So... Check your sources, people. In 1948, it seemed like things were all falling into place for Jean. Not only did she have custody of her daughter, but she was also landing bit roles in films. She had just landed a new agent. Sometimes she was an extra, but other times she had a slightly upgraded role as a dancer. I still don't think she had any lines when she was hired as a dancer, but she was moving up. She was getting to use her dancing talent on the big screen. And as a dancer, she had more of a featured role, even though it was still small. Good for her. Yeah. I mean, to be going through all this bullshit with these horrible dudes and then, you know, still be moving up in your your film career and, and pursuing your dream. Like, exactly. good on her. She That's was amazing. doing the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And she still found time to enjoy the things she liked doing, like going out and having a social Party life. Party time. Because there's nothing wrong with having a social life nope. when you're a parent. That's okay. A little over a year after she and her daughter moved in with her family, 
Jean was working on the film The Petty Girl, starring Robert Cummings. She's uncredited in the film. I think she was essentially an extra. Her role is listed as nightclub patron. One day on set, as she walked past Robert Cummings, he noticed her whistling. And he said, you sound happy. And she said, I am. I have a new romance. And he said, is it serious? Which is a weird thing for a man to say to a woman that he doesn't really know. But anyway. I mean, that's gross. That's kind of gross. It you is. You know what I mean? It it's is. like, it's that whole, it's that mentality of like, all men are above women and should, you know, have some kind of power over them, even if they aren't. Right. It's just, it's like a weird, like, is, is it, it serious? serious? Like, do I have a chance? But do he I, didn't oh. seem like he was hitting on her. So it was just a it's weird, a weird thing to ask. <laughs> yeah. And Jean answered, not really, but I'm having the time of my life. Good for her. Just two weeks later, Jean vanished. Fuck. On Friday, October 7th, 1949, Sophie, Jean's sister-in-law, was going to watch Jean's daughter, Christine, who at this point is five years old, because Jean was going out for the evening. And at the time, Jean's mother, Florence, was in Kentucky. Shout out to my home state. What was she doing there? Visiting family. Oh, she's family. Okay. Yep. Jean came down the stairs and asked Sophie how she looked. Then Christine asked her where she was going. Jean was supposedly headed to work on a night shoot for a new film. But before that, she was first going to collect a child support payment from Dexter that was a week late. Mm -hmm. Of course, she didn't want to tell her child, hey, your dad's a deadbeat and owes me money. So (laughs) when Christine asked her where she was going, Jean just replied, going to work. As she said it, though, she looked at Sophie and winked, which made Sophie wonder if work was supposed to be code for something else, which is possible. Because as investigators would later find out, according to the Screen Extras Guild, Jean did not have a work call that night. Oh, shit. And studios had no record of her employment for that date. I was going to say, what was the film that she was going to do the night shoot for? There wasn't one. There was no film. Side note, always let someone know where you're going. Someone should always Mm -hmm. know where you are. Like, that is just rule of life. Tell someone the real place you're going because you don't, you just don't know what Mm -hmm. could happen, especially if that person is watching your child. Like someone needs to know where you actually are. Yes. A hundred percent. Not to victim blame here. She just, it's just like, you know, we want to learn from history. Jean left her home around 530 PM. As she walked out, she turned to Christine and Sophie, crossed her fingers and said, wish me luck, then walked off into the night. That was the last time Christine would ever see her mother and Sophie would see her sister-in-law. Damn it, that's devastating. A salesperson at the nearby farmer's market recalled seeing Jean around 6 o'clock that evening, stating she was taking her time in the store as though she was waiting for someone. The farmer's market is walking distance from Jean's apartment, and it's a big market. Today, it's also home to The Grove, which is like a bunch of stores and restaurants. I think there's a movie theater there. So after reports got out about Jean's disappearance, the salesperson is like, hey, that's the same woman that was in here. It doesn't appear that she bought anything, but she was there for a good while, which Mm -hmm. might be why the employee remembered her. Because otherwise, I'm like, how do you remember a random customer in your store? Well, and also, I think she's probably, you know, she is so striking and beautiful and true. I'm sure very tall. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she stood out. 
Plus, if she's wandering around for a couple of hours, I could see how an employee might take notice of that. Sure. So that makes sense. Around 7 or 7.30 p.m. that night, Jean called Sophie. She wanted to check in on Christine, and then she told Sophie, don't wait up for me tonight. I'll be working a full eight-hour shift, so I won't be home until tomorrow morning. Mm. In the film industry, this is known as a Day. You start work on Friday night and end on Saturday morning. But we already know that Jean wasn't at work that night. So what the fuck was she doing? Yeah. When Jean didn't return home Saturday morning, Sophie thought, that's weird. She should have been back by now. But she didn't think too much about it. She just thought maybe the shoot ran long or Jean had some errands to run after she got off work. But when there were still no trace of Jean later that day, Sophie began to worry. She went down to the Wilshire Division of the LAPD to report Jean missing. But the police were just kind of like, mm, okay, like, oh, your sister-in-law's missing? That sucks. They told Sophie that because Jean was an adult and in the movie business, she was probably just, quote, out on a fling and would return in a day or two. No, 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 no. Like, oh, you know how these actresses are. Oh, these actresses. I mean, like, they just what? get into so much. That's bullshit. I understand the whole adult thing because that's still an issue where someone's missing yeah. but because they're 18 or over. Cops are like, there's nothing we can do right now. Bad which is things so crazy. happen to anyone of any age. And I really yeah. wish law enforcement would just fucking realize that. And that yeah. when someone has a hunch that something bad has happened. Believe them. Generally, something bad has happened. Yes, because f your family knows. I mean, in most cases, whoever it is, if there's someone, a loved one that's concerned, it's because this is not behavior that you would normally exhibit. Right, which is why you're going to law enforcement in in the first place. Right. Like, I'm sure there are times where, you know, it's something minuscule and someone's found immediately or they have a history of that happening or whatever, but still, like, yeah, come on. Let's look for people. Yeah. Have you seen that map of, I? this is probably getting a little off topic, but there, I, there's a an image of a map of like all the cave systems in the United States and then no. where all of the missing people are. And it oh. kind of like lines up with those cave systems. Caves? Caves, yeah. Like m all the missing people are in caves? No. <laughs> what? That's not exactly <laughs> <laughs> like that's to the it caves. seems like they would all just start searching the caves then like we've cracked the code go to the caves the code they're all in the caves <laughs> the underground what no no i was just thinking about that like because you know there's all these missing people like where do they go but yeah i'll send you that image okay so they don't go to the caves sure 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 so confused. Um, this is just a, a side note about Jean's age. Most sources say that she was 27 at the time of her disappearance. But if she was, in fact, born on September 2nd, 1923, she would have been 26 when she disappeared. She would have just turned 26 about a month before she vanished. And it was driving me crazy as I researched this because all these articles list her birth date, the date she disappeared. And then write that she was 27. I'm like, no. How do you get that detail wrong? Am I on glue? 49 minus 23 is 26, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she had just turned 26. Anyway. Yeah. So the police did not list Jean as a missing person. 
they just told Sophie she'll turn up. But Sophie had a bad feeling and she knew Jean wouldn't just leave her child to go party for a couple of days. The day after Sophie went to the police, an employee at Griffith Park by the name of Henry Angu or Anjou was just going about his daily work routine, monitoring the park, picking up any trash, when he came upon a purse located near the Ferndale entrance to the park. Both straps on one side were torn, indicating that there had possibly been a struggle, like the purse had been ripped from the owner's arm. So the park employee called the police. When the police arrived, it was determined by the contents of the purse that this belonged to Jean Spangler. Her purse was found five and a half miles from her home. And this is this is the entrance to a park? Yes, to Griffith okay. Park, which is Griffith. massive. So now the police are taking the case seriously. Finally. Backing up a little bit, like the five and a half miles from her home, she was on foot. Like she had walked to the farmer's market. So she was driven to this area. She didn't just walk five and a half miles at night to Griffith Park. No. So the police are like, huh, we should look at this closer. A group of 60 officers and over 100 volunteers headed out to Griffith Park to search for more evidence and any clues they could find. Griffith Park is enormous. It's more than 4,200 acres. Whoa. And because of its size and terrain, it is a known dumping ground for bodies. Fuck. It was back then, and spoiler alert, it still is today. I think I'm going to do an entire episode on Griffith Park. The history of it is <gasps> Kate, really interesting. That There's would a be lot there. Amazing. You know what would be even more amazing is if we did the episode. From, from Griffith Park. Griffith Park. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, in a tent at night. <laughs> I'm going to have to book my plane ticket. There's mountain lions there, though, so I don't oh. know if I want to like hang out and sleep there. Sure. We'll get some torches. Scare them off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so dozens of people and dogs are scouring the park for any clues about Jean. One dog dug up a Los Angeles County jail uniform that had been buried in a shallow hole, though this was not found to be linked to Jean's disappearance. That's still terrifying. Yeah, because some escaped convict out there ditched their jail <laughs> uniform and buried it in Griffith Park. Where's that person? Right. Aside from the purse, the search crew found no other trace of Jean. Not like a piece of clothing, not a shoe, nothing. Were there prints? Did they find any like footprints or shoe prints? Well, I guess there's so many at the entrance. They didn't find anything. Damn. However, inside her purse was a handwritten note. It read, Kirk, can't wait any longer. Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work best this way while mother is away. The note isn't signed, but a handwriting expert determined this was written by Jean. Can you read the note again real quick? Kirk, can't wait any longer. Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work best this way while mother is away. Okay. A lot of people say that the note ends with a comma, as though like she was writing it in a hurry and couldn't finish it. I've looked at the note. I'm going to post the note. It looks like a period to me. I don't know where people are getting the comma. I think people are just like digging for things. I think it was just a very short, simple note. I mean, to me, just right off the bat, that note reads like she was having an affair with, or not affair, she was having a fling with Kirk, got pregnant, and was going to the doctor to get an abortion. 
and that it would be good to do that while her mom was away, you know? My thoughts exactly. But where, where, uh, that's weird because where was she going to put the note? Was she going to mail it? Was she taking it somewhere? You know, where was she going to leave the note? Because it was just kind of folded up in her purse. It wasn't like it was in an envelope. Right. It's not like she was prepping to pop it in the post. So it makes me think she was on her way to deliver it to someone. Ooh, interesting. This note became detectives' primary clue. It was really all they had to go on. Once the story made its way into the papers, all kinds of tips and eyewitness accounts started pouring in. People claiming they'd seen Jean, like the salesperson from the farmer's market, people claiming to have seen her with other people. And one of the people that called into the police station was actor Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas was very famous at the time. He Mm -hmm. was 33. He'd already made several films. He was also not a great dude, allegedly. And we'll talk more about him when we cover Natalie Wood. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. He's real bad. Oh, Natalie Wood. Mm Mm-hmm. Dang. Was was he on the boat? No. Okay. We'll we'll get there. We'll t- we're, I'm not going to talk Sorry. about it in this episode, right, 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 but right, right, right. Different episode. it'll come up in the Natalie Wood episode. But anyway, Kirk gets word about this note found in Jean's purse, and he calls up the police. He spoke with LAPD Deputy Chief Thad Brown, who coincidentally had also headed up the Black Dahlia case. And Kirk told Detective Brown, hey, just want to let you know that I don't know that girl that disappeared. My name was on that note, but I've never met her. I don't know her. Also... I'm not even in L.A. I'm on vacation in Palm Springs right now. So, like, I had nothing to do with it. Oh, my God. Shut the fuck up. Did it say Kirk <laughs> Douglas on the note? No. That's <laughs> I see. Like, that's just, that's, like, basically coming forward and being like, oh, my God, that was me. I didn't do it. Right? Oh, and Detective it. Brown was like, yeah, I didn't think you did have anything to do with it. But now I'm interested. Yeah. Detectives weren't even looking at Kirk Douglas. Like I said, there was no last name for Kirk on the note. So why did Kirk assume it was in reference to him? Either he was extremely narcissistic or he knew more than he let on. Could be both. True. (laughs) Just a couple of days later, on October 12th, Kirk changed his story, this time issuing a formal press statement through his attorney, Gary Rosenthal. The statement read, quote, I told Detective Chief Thad Brown that I didn't remember the girl or the name until a friend recalled it was she who worked as an extra in a scene with me in my picture, Young Man with a Horn, which, what a terrible name for a movie. That's an awful name. Young Man with a Horn. Kirk was the lead in Young Man with a Horn. He was the young man with a horn. With a horn? (gasps) Shit. And Jean played a hula dancer. So Kirk is saying, like, don't remember her. But then he says, like, oh, yeah, actually, someone reminded me that she did work with me, but she was just an extra in a scene, and that's it. Witnesses say, however, that Jean and Kirk were very friendly on set. Nancy Chaplin, another dancer on the film, said of Kirk, quote, I frequently saw him and Jean talking and laughing together on set. On October 13th, Kirk was quoted in the San Bernardino Sun as saying, quote, I recall that she was a tall girl in a green dress. I talked and kidded her. I talked and kidded with her a bit on the set, but I never saw her before or after that and have never been out with her. It's like no one asked if you'd been out with no her, one's... but thanks for clearing that up. Why is he getting so defensive? 
why is he so weird? And he's <laughs> first, he's like, never met her. Then he's like, she was oh, a tall yeah. girl we in a, a green dress. And then, and then he's like, but I never went out with her. But I never yeah, saw no, her again. No one said you did. <laughs> oh my you need to chill. You need to step back, Kirk. Just shut your damn mouth. I mean, don't shut your damn mouth. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, tell us more. Florence Spangler, Jean's mother, had now returned to California from Kentucky to aid in the search of her missing daughter. She told investigators that Jean had mentioned a Kirk that she met on set, but unfortunately Florence didn't know which set and didn't have a last name for him. She also said that Jean had been picked up by someone named Kirk on more than one occasion, but the man always stayed in the car, so Florence never met him. Police did have Kirk Douglas cut his vacation short so he could return to Hollywood for questioning, but he was cleared of any wrongdoing. Okay, well, no. I mean, how far <laughs> how far into it did the police go? Because my instinct would know. be try to remember those dates where he was like a man named Kirk was picking her up and then compare mm-hmm. that to like Kirk's whereabouts on those specific dates. Like did they they probably didn't do any of that. They were probably just like, "Oh, not him." Yeah, you you should have been on the investigative team. Or because he was so influential. That's the thing. He was super famous at the time. Right. And in the 40s and you're a movie star and you're like, "I didn't do it." I have a feeling police are going to be like, okay. Yeah, sure. Can I have an autograph? So investigators quickly turned their attention toward Dexter Benner, the ex-husband, because Sophie had informed them that Jean was going to meet him the night that night to collect the overdue child support payment. Mm-hmm. So detectives questioned Dexter, but he said he hadn't seen Jean for weeks. He was like, I don't know anything about her coming to meet me that night. We had no meeting. Dexter had also remarried by this time. He married a woman by the name of Lynn about a month prior to Jean's disappearance. Lynn backed up Dexter's story that he hadn't seen Jean. And the detectives were like, okay, thanks for your time. So cops are like, hey, Dexter, do you know anything about Jean's disappearance? No? Okay, Lynn, is that true? Okay, cool. Have a great day. Cleared. So with that leading nowhere, detectives went back to that handwritten note. Jean had mentioned going to see a Dr. Scott. The note read, Kurt, sorry, Kirk can't wait any longer. Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work best this way while mother is away. So Jean's mother had been away. She'd been in Kentucky. And the note, as we were mentioning earlier, sounds like Jean was possibly going to see a Dr. Scott to get an abortion. Abortion was illegal, which made it a risky and dangerous procedure. Because when you make abortion illegal, you do more harm than good. Sorry, something in my throat. I loved how that sounded, Kate. I think you should make that into like a soundbite. <laughs> so all abortions had to be performed off the books. Most of Jean's friends denied she was even pregnant. But one friend told police that Jean had confided in her that she was pregnant about three months along. Well, there you go. LAPD interviewed every doctor in Los Angeles with the surname Scott, but none of them had Jean as a patient. Yeah, well, I mean, they're not going to own up to Exactly. To if that. they had found the right doctor, he would not have admitted knowing her since the procedure would have procedure would have been illegal. So, I don't really know what good that did. I mean, that's that's bananas and they probably didn't I mean, it's, you know, I mean, she's in the entertainment industry. Word gets around about, I mean, I'm sure, you know, maybe that was a referral from someone else 
like possibly yeah to. i mean i think there's probably more they could have looked into to find this guy also like if you're performing illegal abortions you know at the time i'm sure generally those people were like on a watch list or something you know what i mean not necessarily, but a lot of times it was not the actual doctors performing them because they didn't want to lose their oh. license. It was medical students oh. or nurses. I did not know that. Yeah. Shit. So cops did learn about a mysterious former medical student, simply known as Doc, who would hang around the bars and nightclubs of the Sunset Strip, which is where a lot of young women, including Jean, would hang out. And he would offer to perform abortions for a fee. However, the cops were never able to find him. Okay. Did you hear my stomach growl? Because I felt like it was super loud. I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> the only Scott investigators could find in Jean's past was Lieutenant Scotty, the guy she'd had the affair with while Dexter oh, was stationed yeah. overseas. As I mentioned earlier, he was abusive toward her and threatened to kill her if she ever left him. So this does make him a person of interest, if nothing else. However, according to Jean's former lawyer, Jean hadn't seen Lieutenant Scotty since they'd broken up in 1945. I was going to say, like, what was the time frame before, between when she left and when she went missing? Yeah, so this is four years later. Yeah, no. I mean, he's not just going to come four years out of the woodwork and... You know, and suddenly seek and his suddenly revenge. Seek revenge, like yeah, because that's that's playing a long game. That's like <laughs> real long, right? I mean, I'd be interested to know, even though she did end it, if in that four years they had any kind of contact or kept in touch, or if he maybe like tried to get a hold of her. According to her lawyer. She had not seen him, and I don't okay. think there was any contact. I don't know if he tried to contact her. But it doesn't seem like they ever met face-to-face, -face, according to this lawyer. Okay. Got it. Also, though, Gene never referred to him as Dr. Scott. He yeah. was always Scotty to her. And plus, why would she go to see him after breaking up with him when he was abusive? Like, was why abusive. four years later would she be like, I better go to him? No. Oh, I, so I don't God. think we can consider him a real I suspect. I think we can rule him out pretty quickly. Yeah. That one's a stretch. So he's gone off the list. According to eyewitnesses, Jean was seen in Palm Springs just days before her disappearance with little Davy Ogle and Frank Nicoli. It's either Nicoli or Nikolai, but I like Nicoli. Two of Mickey Cohen's henchmen. Jean did go to Palm Springs every now and then. It was a popular spot for people in Hollywood to vacation to. Mm -hmm. And Mickey Cohen and his guys also went to Palm Springs often. Jean was known to associate with Davy Ogle. She had loose connections to the mob from her days as a dancer at Florentine Gardens because it was a spot the mob frequented. So it does seem she did know Davy Ogle, at least. But LAPD went to Palm Springs and investigated all the places Jean was known to visit, and nothing turned up. Oddly, Frank Nicoli, who was under indictment for conspiracy, Vanished just a couple of weeks before Jean and little Davy Ogle, also under indictment for conspiracy, disappeared just two days after Jean. Both men were set to testify against Mickey Cohen, and it's believed they were the victims of a mob hit. Murdered or disappeared for those guys? Well, quote, they were never seen again, but they were murdered. Okay. 
So they, but they never found any bodies or anything like that. No, mm. they only found I think it was Frank's keys in a sewer drain in Santa okay. Barbara. Ooh, Some okay. something like that. Yeah, but I mean, Mickey Cohen knew how to get rid of people. So, but also, I mean, this is the mob we're talking about. Like, there's so much shady shit going on in that you know realm that mm-hmm. you know I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like that might be a little bit of a stretch. Well, if Jean was with them when all of that went down, because she they say she was spotted in Palm Springs with those sure. two guys, there is a good chance she was killed along with them. Right. Because maybe she saw something or heard something she should Exactly. Okay. However, some witnesses claim they saw Jean months after her disappearance with Davy Ogle. So there was a theory that the two of them had run away together. I don't buy this theory for two reasons. I mean, she's 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 still building her career. Why would she? You exactly. Know? Plus, number one reason, her daughter. I don't yeah. think she would just up no. and leave her. She no, fought no, no, so no, no, hard no. to get custody. To get her custody, exactly. Yeah. And then, like you said, her career was on the rise. Her roles were getting bigger. She wasn't just going to abandon her dreams to run away with some mobster. Nope. Don't buy it. Police did follow up on the Spangler Ogle sightings, but found no evidence that either of them were alive, much less together. Jean's mom, Florence, said to the press, quote, Jean was not the kind of girl to get mixed up with people like that. I'm sure she would have communicated with us if she's alive and free. And nobody can tell me that she would have left her baby unless she was forced to do so. She loved her too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the last suspect we have to talk about is the Black Dahlia killer. Fuck, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, there's so many There's so many suspects oh in this case. Oh my God. Okay, Black Dahlia. Former LAPD homicide detective Steve Hodell believes his father, Dr. George Hodell Jr., is not only the Black Dahlia killer, but also murdered Gene Spangler. Steve Hodell has written several books on why he thinks his father is the Black Dahlia murderer. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail here, but when we sure. do cover that case, we'll talk about it. There are some compelling things about Dr. Hodel that make the theory he killed Gene Spangler plausible. Okay. For one thing, he ran an active abortion ring. He would perform abortions for the rich and famous, as well as for police officers who had affairs and got the girl pregnant. Dr. Hodel and his associates paid hush money to the LAPD so they'd perform these illegal abortions and the LAPD would just look the other way. Dr. Hodel had a lot of run-ins with the law in the 1940s. He was a suspect in the murder of his secretary. He was arrested on incest charges, but acquitted. But, like, he was incestuous. He was just not a good dude. Yikes. With who? His daughter. Just, oh. Yeah. Or, oh, no, I thought you were going to say something else, like cousin or. Nope. Even if he wasn't the Black Dahlia killer, this guy was up to no good. Steve Hodell thinks the Dr. Scott mentioned in Jean's note was one of the doctors in Hodell's abortion ring. Shit. Steve's older brother, Duncan, said that their dad was dating a, quote, gorgeous actress type named Jean around the time of Jean Spangler's disappearance. Wait, say that again. I was thinking about connecting things. Sorry. (laughs) 
So Steve's <laughs> older brother, Duncan, okay. said that their dad, Dr. Hodel, yes. was dating a, quote, gorgeous actress type named Jean around oh. the time of Jean Spangler's disappearance. So doctor, they, they were saying that Dr. Hodel and Jean were dating. Possibly. Possibly. Potentially. On October 6th, the day before Jean disappeared, Dr. Hodel was arrested for incest and bailed out the same day. According to several newspaper accounts, the final sightings of Jean occurred in the early hours of October 8th. Three witnesses stated they saw Jean at around 1.30 a.m. at the Cheesebox restaurant on the Sunset Strip. One of these witnesses was Terry Taylor, the owner of the restaurant. Each witness said Jean was with a, quote, clean-cut man who appeared to be between the ages of 30 and 35. A lot of men could be considered clean-cut. They don't give much more of a description other than that. Dr. Hodel was considered a clean-cut man in that age range. So according to that description, he could fit that description. Al Lazar, who was a popular DJ at the time, was at the Cheesebox restaurant at 2.30 a.m. and said he saw Gene there arguing with two men. He went to intervene to be like, everything okay here? But said as he approached the table, the two men waved him off. A little later, a man and a woman matching Gene's description stopped for gas at a station near the Sunset Strip. They were in a blue-gray convertible. The man bought gas and told the station attendant, a man named Art Rogers, that they were headed to Fresno. As they drove away, the woman yelled out, Have the police follow this car! Super creepy. Whoa, what time was that? So she was still at the restaurant at 2.30 a.m. This is like early hours of that Saturday morning. morning. Okay. So Art, the station attendant, calls the police and tells them what happened. But by the time they responded, the trail had gone cold. They never found the car or the couple. And it's like, if that was George Hodel with Jean, police were so close to catching him and saving her. Yeah, they would have known who that was in the car if they would have followed up. But if that wasn't them, who was that woman? Like, is she okay? Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. No. <laughs> so oh, that's awful. I mean, oh, I hope she, I hope I whoever hope that okay. was is okay. Yeah. Steve Hodel believes the clean-cut man Jean was allegedly spotted with was his father, Dr. Hodel. He said the description matched his dad, as did the car the man was driving. Steve's theory is that his dad and Jean were dating beginning in late September, early October. He gets arrested for incest, and she knew something was up, which led to them arguing. And he killed her following this argument over the incest charges. That's that's Steve Hodel's theory. I don't know. I mean, I could see that for sure. Um, but wasn't he arrested for the incense? Incense. I'm incense. <laughs> He was. He liked the incense. Nag Champa. I love Nag Champa. Um, <laughs> he the was incest. Yes, uh, but he posted bail the same day. The same day, and is that the same day that she went missing? It was the day before. Day before. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Kate. I feel like, yeah, he. But he's in the kind of heat of of all of this happening, and if they were dating, and she knew something about it, I don't. I don't know. I just for me, it doesn't feel. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know what I think. I could see the possibility about it, but I I just, I'm not sure I'm buying it. Okay, that's fair. Uh, 
One other note, the location where Jean's purse was found was only about a half a mile from George Hodel's home. Oh, well, fuck. (laughs) The Hodels lived in a Frank Lloyd Wright-designed home called the Soden House. It's now used as an event venue, but it's really cool. I looked at pictures of it online. I'll try to post one. Like, it doesn't even look like a house. It looks, Mm -hmm. it's really cool. Back in 2012, Steve Hodel got clearance to look for forensics at the Soden House. He hired Paul Dosti, Dosti, a retired police sergeant, to search the grounds, and Dosti brought along his dog, Buster. Buster. They conducted two searches, one in the fall of 2012 and one in the fall of 2013. They took soil samples from the slope behind the house because Buster had indicated the smell of human remains. Mm-hmm. They took the soil samples to forensic anthropologist Arpad Voss for testing, and he identified there was indeed presence of human remains in the soil. Steve took those findings to the LAPD, but they brushed it off. Steve's like, hey, we have evidence that there are human remains buried buried here. You want to check that out? And the police were like, nah. Mm. So Steve decided he wanted to do a sweep of the property to see what else he could find. But of Mm -hmm. course, he would need the owner's permission for that. Mm The owner at that time was that 70s show star, Laura Prepon. So Steve contacts Laura's attorney to try and get permission, but his request was denied. Now the Soden house is used for events, and I don't know if Steve Hodel has tried again to get permission to search the property, but it's interesting. There very well could be a body or bodies buried there, and one of them could be Gene Spangler. Sure. I mean, that's possible. But yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, aren't there a lot of human remains in the ground just in general, just from all the people <laughs> who used to live? <laughs> in general, yes, there are a lot of human remains in the ground. <laughs> I don't know. I but don't are know. they located near the basement of the Soden house? Okay, I, well, think, I think that kind of centralizes okay. the area we're talking Never about. My bad. I don't know why I'm so against this theory. Continue. <laughs> It's okay. (laughs) But it's hard to even know if Gene was, in fact, at that restaurant with a clean-cut man because there were so many eyewitness accounts coming in months after her disappearance, claiming she was spotted in Texas, in Vegas, all over. And it's like, no. No, I don't buy that. I think people just, you know, they hear about things and then it's on their mind and they think they see something or they just want attention. Exactly, which is why eyewitness accounts, like, you can't really put a whole lot of faith in those. How much merit you can give them. Again, I don't think she would have left her child either. So I don't think she's just, like, off with some mobster in Vegas. Yeah, I think we can kind of, like, say no to to the ran away theory. So then if we can't trust those sightings, can we trust the ones of her at the restaurant or the gas station? I don't know. The guest, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, how did I mean, here's the thing. Like how recognizable was she? Like how do we know that it was her? We don't. Sure? And we don't. And that's the thing. Like Hollywood is full of like striking beautiful people mm-hmm. um who have like the same look. Um and she's not 
you know, she's working on her career and making a name for herself, but she's not famous, famous. Exactly. Like she knows. She's not a household name. No, she's not a household name. So like, I don't even know. And I mean, you're one thirty, two thirty in the morning at a diner Mm -hmm. um, and someone's having an argument. You know, I'm sure they were drunk. I'm sure, you know, it's busy. I, I don't know. It's hard to know. It's hard to know for sure. Real quick, also, yeah. Like, why would Hodel take her to like a such a public place before you know killing her? If he did, according to Steve, George Hodel did not need any reason to kill. So if he was dating her, as Duncan, the older brother, believes, he could have just been out with her. Maybe he was just she just wanted to go to him that night. Maybe she wanted to ask him about an abortion with his abortion ring. Yeah. And they were chatting yeah. about that. Right. We just don't know. Right. At the center of all this is five-year-old Christine who just misses her mom. In late October, temporary custody was awarded to Dexter. Florence, Jean's mom, fought hard in court for Christine. Good. So Here is this mom who has lost her daughter. She doesn't know where she is or what happened to her. She lost her son in the war just a few years earlier. She's had her granddaughter living with her a little over a year, and now the child is being sent back to her father. And we don't know where the fuck Cecil is. Maybe he's there. We don't know. Cecil. So this mom, I mean, she's been through it. And just as he had done with Jean, Dexter refused to let Florence see Christine. God damn it, Dexter. He's an asshole. He repeatedly defied a court order to let Florence have visitation and said that he didn't want Florence around talking about Jean because this would upset Christine. It's like, no, that's the child's mother. I'm sure she probably wanted to hear about her. And you're just going to deny a child the right to see her grandmother? Mm -hmm. No. The court sentenced Dexter to 15 days in jail for denying Florence visitation rights. So he just left the state. No. He skipped town. What a little bitch. He, along with his new wife, Lynn, and little Christine, packed up and moved to Florida, and that was that. No. And so the grandmother never got to see her again. Well, she got to see her in court because two years later, Dexter's wife, Lynn, tried to legally adopt Christine. Dexter tried to say that Jean had run off with a gangster and abandoned the child because, remember, of all the sightings with Davy Ogle. But Superior Judge Georgia Bullock denied the adoption, stating that because there's no proof that Jean is either alive or dead, there's no proof of abandonment. I'm sorry, but under the circumstances, wouldn't you kind of gear toward the fact that she's probably deceased? You would, but according to the law, because there's no proof of that, they can't just grant some other woman the right to adopt that woman's child. I mean, in that case, I feel like that's a good thing. Because if if Jean was still alive, and like, what if she was being held captive somewhere? Oh, they true. don't know. True. So if she were to like come forward, and then suddenly her daughter is legally adopted by someone else, like they couldn't do that. So the judge was like, nope, you can't adopt her. Luella Parsons, a famed Hollywood gossip columnist, as well as Jean's mom, each offered a $1,000 reward for information that might lead to Jean's whereabouts. Today, that amount is close to $13,000. Unfortunately, nothing turned up. And Jean's case remains open. Fuck. Jean, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know. 
I don't know what I think. I so what I do think and what I'm like I would bet my money on mm-hmm. is that Kirk Douglas is her baby daddy. I yeah, I I would a hundred percent go with that. She was I pregnant think, by him. Yeah. I think Dexter had motive because he wanted Christine and he also sucked as a human, but like, did he murder her? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I feel like, okay, so Dexter is a fucking piece of shit, mm-hmm. but, and, and an asshole, but I, you know, I don't necessarily see him murdering her. If all he wanted was Christine. Yeah. I mean, that I, would be a really know. big risk. To and he and he was married, you know, he remarried. And I'm not saying that plastic manufacturers can't be killers, but like, I just don't think Dexter has it in them. I don't. Plastic manufacturers listening, let us know. <laughs> Please tell us if you've ever murdered anyone. <laughs> Please tell us about um, murders in the plastic industry. And then there is the possibility was she in the wrong place at the wrong time during right. a mob hit? Right. I mean, it's plausible. Okay, so so Kirk, we we think is the fa is you know the father to this unborn child, and she had confided mm-hmm. in a friend that she was pregnant. She's looking for an abortion. She has friendships with people in the mob. Um, obviously, you know, I think she's probably trying to be silenced by you know Kirk Douglas and his people or whatever circle that surrounds him. Um, cause I'm sure it would look, was he married at the time? Do we know? That I don't know. Okay. I don't think he was trying to silence her. I think he was just trying to distance himself from her. Sure. But I mean, like if she's pregnant with his baby and his child, mm-hmm. I'm sure he doesn't want that to happen. So oh yeah. I'm, I mean, I think he was putting pressure on her. Right. Allegedly, allegedly. If Kirk Douglas was the baby daddy. To get an abortion. To get an abortion. I'm wondering if maybe she went to her mob friends to, one, you know, figure out how to go about it or to get money for it. That's what's interesting because when she left her house that night, she had no money with her. And there was no money in her purse when they found her. When they found the purse, excuse me. Maybe that's what she was going to get was money for the abortion. Then why didn't Kirk fucking Douglas give her money? He had yeah. money. Oh, that's true. I didn't think of that. Okay. I don't, I just don't know. It's so bizarre. And But then again, like, the thing with the mob hit, as I'm saying it, I'm like, well, that doesn't really explain her purse being found in Griffith Park. If she was with those guys in Palm Springs and then... I feel like if it was the mob, they wouldn't leave a trace. Right. Or they would do anything they could, you know, to not to not leave something behind. And a purse is a pretty big item to kind of leave there. I mean, and it had her identification in on. Yeah. And it had the note in it as well. Yeah. Um, so it's weird. So it makes me think that maybe whoever did it, maybe whoever did it wasn't doing it solely for the fact of the thing with Kirk or the baby or the abortion, because they wouldn't want that to be found. But then again, they might not know that it was there in the purse. Yeah, I don't know if like there was a struggle and then she got away, like they ripped the purse off her, but she got away. So they just dropped the purse and went after her. Right, right. So then there was another theory that it could have been a botched abortion and that the doctor that performed it ended up killing her during the process and then tried to like hide the body. But that I also don't buy because 
again, why leave the purse? And in the cases where that happened, I mean, there's got to be, you know, record of, of women passing away from botched abortions. Well, unfortunately, because abortions were illegal and it was all under the table yeah. and off the books, I don't think there was a record. Fuck. So they would just die and no one would. And it would be like die during childbirth or oh, I died see. under so mysterious would, circumstances right, right, or, you right, know, right. illness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a baffling case because there are so many directions it could go that are plausible. And I'm just like, what happened? Could it have been completely random? It could have. Yeah. Yeah. But why would she be at Griffith Park? You know, like that's the thing. Someone someone drove her there. Someone had to have driven her there. So I don't know. How far is Griffith Park from? I mean, we were kind of debunking the the uh, the diner sightings but mm-hmm. how far is that diner from griffith park let me look that up really quick because i believe it was sunset in laurel canyon 4.6 miles oh dang okay. so she i mean she would have had to have been driven yeah which she could have been i mean they could have just driven from the gas station and he could have done something at his house because he was very close we're talking about hodel hodel right because his house was very close it's just a few blocks I don't know. I think Kirk Douglas is involved, in, if not directly, indirectly. Allegedly. We want to know what you all think happened. Uh, you can reach out to us on the Instagram, the Facebook, or the YouTube. At Horrorwood Podcast. Uh, you could also email us. At Podcast at gmail.com. And if you're feeling so inclined and you have the means... Pop on over to Patreon and throw us the support. You can get some bonus episodes there. And uh, we do a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. And we just like try to give you like some extras over there. And that is at patreon.com slash horrorwood podcast. And as always, misfits, don't do murder. But always tell someone where you're going, especially if you're going to go meet mobsters. Like someone should know about that. Exactly. And also, be careful around plastic factories. Yeah, because you just don't know who's working there. You never, you really never know.